When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, Liverpool at top of the Premier League. Salah hits 200 goals and Harvey Elliott delivers the latest comeback show as the Reds prepare for Manchester United's latest visit to Anfield. And we all love to beat Manchester United, don't we? To talk about Sunday's showdown and plenty more, we have James Pearce and Simon Hughes. And as ever, let's start with those three words. And as usual, I'm going to go to Simon, because if he's prepared them, I would be stunned. It would be a great Christmas present for our producer guy, but it would be shock of the year. <laughs> All right, uh, Eric Ten Hag. There you go. We're talking about him shortly, aren't we? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what that means. It's, uh, but anyway, we're over to James. I'm going to go for show no mercy. I like that. I like that. I want eight or nine. You could have thought about that, Si. You could have thought about that. You could, you know, you could have made yourself an instant hero. There would have been flags with your face on on the cop. <laughs> Show no mercy. Instead, it's going to be James. <laughs> well, uh, James is such a rabble rouser. <laughs> uh, he, he'd cause a fight in an empty house, wouldn't he? You know, yeah. by, by that, I mean social media. And none of it's ever his fault. <laughs> people misinterpret everything. Anyway, let's see what they're saying over at the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. David Elverson, Liverpool on top. Marcus Marut, just getting started. Well, let's hope so. Alan Walsh, Salah's the man. Andy Leg finding a way. What would I say? I'm going to say get into them again. I always say that again. But when you're playing Man United, it's really like, it's like, you know, the, the cop. Or even the scoreboard and get into them, get into them. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Top of the league, James, how did this happen? In the summer, we're like, which way's the season going to go? There was more people who thought there was going to be doom and gloom than there was, you know, top of Christmas, if indeed they are top of Christmas, because there's still a fair way to go, people. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The, um, you know, I couldn't help but think seeing Chelsea slump to another demoralising defeat and, and listening to, to Pochettino cry about, oh, they need to throw more money at it in January. You think, you think of the fume off the back of Liverpool missing out on Caicedo and, and Lavia in August. And, you know, it felt like the end of the world on social media. And, you know, how can Liverpool possibly compete this season? And without a shadow of a doubt, it's surpassed the expectations of even the most optimistic of Liverpool fans to be out there in front. And yes, it's tight. You know, what is it? Four points separating Liverpool, Arsenal, Villa and Man City. But it's the thing that excites me is Liverpool are top without actually playing particularly well. I don't think it's not like, you know, how can they possibly sustain these levels of performance? Because, you know, the, the last three games, 
you know, a, a case studies in themselves. You know, Fulham was a real struggle. You know, you could pick plenty of holes in the performance. They get the job done. Sheffield United away last week was horribly scrappy and flat. Yet, same again, they get the job done. And then Palace, as Klopp said himself, for 76 minutes, they were absolutely dreadful. Yet they come back and, and win. So I think that's the thing that really like excites me, the fact that it, it feels like there's so much more to come. And, and yes, there's plenty of, you could make a, quite a long list of things that concern you about being able to maintain a challenge. But also the other contenders aren't perfect. That's the other thing. Liverpool don't need to be perfect to win the league this season. You know what? I don't think they're very good, even being honest. You know, when you compare it to maybe three or four years ago, you know, it's not it's it's not at that stage yet. You know, they, there haven't been too many outstanding performances and certainly very, very few 90-minute performances this season. But, you know, you can only sort of beat what you're up against and compete what you're up against of now. And as James says, I don't think, you know, the leagues are particularly strong. You know, well, I think it's a strong league this season, but I don't think there's many outstanding teams in that league, if that makes sense. We discussed it before, I think... Um, you know, Manchester City lost a couple of key players who were difficult to replace. I know they sat, spent a lot of money, but that doesn't necessarily just automatically mean that things just carry on. You've then got, obviously, the, the determination of the team to go again, which, as Liverpool fans, that was very hard. Arsenal, I think, will benefit in the as the season progresses for the players that they signed last summer, but I still think they're short in the goalkeeping department, which... I think goalkeepers can win your leagues, really. I think if Liverpool don't have Alisson, they probably don't win everything that they have won under Jurgen Klopp. And then as we've seen with Tottenham, they've, they've fallen away a little bit the last few weeks. And then Aston Villa have been very efficient, but Liverpool swept them away at Anfield. So it, at this stage, I just I think anybody can win it. You know, the, the danger is that City, you know, sort of get the rhythm back at some point and get the, the, the key players who've been injured back. And they, they sort of have shown in the past as a club that they can accelerate away with it. But they're in a great position, Liverpool, as we said. They just haven't played particularly well, but they've got players who've played very well in short bursts in games, which has sucked the enthusiasm, well, it sucked the confidence out of the opposition, I'd say, at certain points. So, yeah, we'll see. It's very interesting. I think it's, it's, it's good that we're talking about this. I think it's good that, you know... It, the Premier League seems quite open at this stage of the season. It's 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 not very often that we have this. You know, there's sort of four or five teams that that potentially might do it. Yeah, I mean, I do. I must admit, I like a a title race with a bunch of teams in. But you know what? I like even better Liverpool walking away with it, and that's what I'd like. Um, but let's look back on the win at Selhurst Park and go beyond the frame with Google Pixel, the official mobile phone of Liverpool Football Club. And this is where Greg Evans looks deeper into one of the main themes from the weekend's action. Beyond the frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd... The audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. So here at Sellers Park, Liverpool did it again to beat Crystal Palace 2-1, which in the end wasn't a great surprise. 
But perhaps the impact that Harvey Elliott had in the game was, make no mistake, his winning goal was sensational, but it was the way he stretched the defence in the moments before that made the real difference. In 16 minutes of normal time and another 12 minutes of injury time, Elliott had 31 touches and each one was packed with purpose and poise. He didn't misplace a single pass during his time on the pitch and it was his driving run forward that threw the foul out of Jordan Ayew and resulted in a second yellow card for the Palace attacker, which ultimately changed the game. From there, Liverpool were dominant and Elliot was at the heart of it all. He dropped deep to collect the ball and start off attacks against a stretched, tired defence. He moved the ball quickly and always looked to play forward. He was energetic and a bundle of joy in the middle of the park. How far Liverpool can go this season will depend on the strength of their squad. But with players like Elliot coming off the bench to such great effect, the signs look good. Playing like that might also get the 20-year-old in the England picture too, with a big summer ahead at the Euros. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Elliot wriggling through, still going. Elliot, good shot, good goal. Well, there's nothing controversial about that one. That sheer skill from Harvey Elliott. Liverpool ahead. A young man with so much talent. Brilliant goal. Harvey Elliott was excellent when he came on against Palace. His goal made him Liverpool's 12th different goal scorer in the Premier League. I mean... What does that say about the squad, James? Yeah, and, and I think that shines through with how many substitutions uh, are working and clicking and those players are coming on and having an impact. I don't think that there's no sign, is there, of anyone you know having a strop or feeling like they're not a full part of it um, when they don't start games. I think Klopp spoke last week about his rotation. Um, you know, He's made more changes than any other um, Premier League manager, I think it's gone gone beyond a hundred now this season, and I think I think Harvey Elliott was the eleventh Liverpool substitute, I think, in all comps to come on and score. When you think of some of those contributions, like you know Nunez's late double at, at Newcastle, you know, of course you had you know Endo scoring against against Fulham, you had Diaz getting that late equaliser at Luton, and then you know Harvey lighting up Selhurst Park in the way he did, and. Yeah, that's one of the most impressive things, I think, so far this season. The fact that that dynamic, you know, the mentality monsters tag that, that obviously Klopp gave Liverpool during the title winning season. It does feel like they're back in terms of, you know, that that spirit, that unity that, that really comes to the fore when their back's against the wall. And I think that was the thing. Once Salah scores that goal to equalise against Palace, I think everyone then just fully expected Liverpool to go on and win the game. That's That's just where they are now. And I think when you... When that becomes a habit, you know, I think that belief kind of courses through your veins as Liverpool players, but also it's what it does to the opposition as well when they think, oh God, here they go again. You know, 18 points won now from losing positions. That's nearly half, just under half of Liverpool's total points they've they've picked up from, you know, being in trouble in games and then digging themselves out of it. So that bodes really well. I, I, I think... You know, picking up what Simon said, I don't think it's sustainable in terms of over the course of a whole season because you can't keep on giving teams a head start. Sooner or later, you'll you'll pay the price for it. But it's a fantastic trait to have at the minute when you've still got players feeling their way into the team and and Klopp still trying to get the balance right. Yeah, before we go on, can we just have a moment of respect for Roy Hodgson? We may not see his like again. <laughs> anyway... Um, Say, talk the most. Is this sustainable? It isn't, is it? You know, we've got to be honest. Last minute winners, you can't do it every week. They've got to put some performances 
down where the, you know, like the Villa game, you know, boom, it's over. After 20 minutes, no more entertainment, no more fun, just singing. That's what we want, don't we? Some of that. Well, I I think, well, I wonder whether part of this is down to sort of the change in approach, maybe style. You know, Liverpool are more of a possession-based team now, which you tend to find with possession-based teams, they feel their way into the games and sort of grow over a longer period of time into that's, the game. That, where that's a really good point because what you do, you work the ball and you work you, you work the opposition's legs. You tire them, don't you? Yeah, well, that's it. And, I, you know, in the past under Klopp, they've obviously been a sort of a counter-attacking team which tried to get on the front foot from the first minute, which which obviously if you, if you score two or three goals, you sort of, you're in control of the game straight away, aren't you? Whereas I think it's harder to do that now because, you know, over periods of time, you sort of teams figure out, you know, if teams do figure out how to play against opponents, that's what keeps Guardiola, I think, at the top. I know everybody sort of talks about the money that he spent, which is true, that's all fair. But he does adjust tactically. And I think that is because he's trying to keep ahead of everybody. And this is what Liverpool are trying to do. Inadvertently, I think it's obviously affected how fast they start games. I mean, they've been pretty slow. But I think that, you know, use Harvey Elliott as, a, as, a, as an example. He's a player who comes on and plays with an intensity. And I think when you've got that off the bench, you know, particularly as the opposition's tiring, maybe if you've got 10 men like Crystal Palace, you know, it's very difficult to to stop, really. I always say with him, he always brings sort of a, a natural enthusiasm. And I'm sure he won't want to be a sub, because <laughs> he, he does. But, you know, he's been very effective in the games when he's come on, I think, in, in, in some of the games anyway, and had a big impact on sort of the outcome of results. So... Um, he'll want to prove that from the start, I'm sure. But it's, um, you know, are you giving them too much credit to say it's part of the strategy? Yes, you probably are, because I'm sure that Liverpool would want to take a stranglehold of the game much quicker. But, you know, it's an evolution in in the process of the, the style of the team. And it might just be a reflection of that as they grow into the season. You might see them getting on the front foot a little bit quicker. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Well, from mentality monsters to mentality midgets, let's talk Manchester United. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, let's talk Manchester United. James, I don't want to laugh at them because we've yet to play them, but <laughs> I'm laughing at them. I'm smiling. <laughs> They're embarrassing, aren't they? I mean... <laughs> You know, you look no, you look back, you look back at the United teams that ruined the nineties for us, you know, and ruined the two thousands largely. And you know, Ferguson, the things they did, the way they played. And this this club is a pale shadow of that. Yeah, you're right. But when I think back to when I was a kid, they ruined season after season. And at the time you kind of felt like it would never end. That was the, that was, it was like a, an ongoing recurring nightmare. The fact that they would always seem to, to find a way and, you know, trophy after trophy. And then 
obviously post Ferguson, everything has changed, doesn't it? And they've just gone from bumbled from kind of one failed regime to another. You've got all the noise off the pitch with with the Glazers. You know, I think that there's a real contrast there at almost every single level in terms of from the ownership, the boardroom, you know, the the instability compared to the stability at Liverpool. You know the the types of personalities that they've signed as well. Not not just the quality of the players, but you know I, I think one of the biggest contrasts between Liverpool and Man United is is the leadership. When you look at the personalities that Klopp has got compared to Ten Hag at United, and they seem to make the same mistakes over and over again, recruitment wise. And yeah, to have lost seven Premier League games already by middle of December is quite remarkable. And then you see their their captain petulantly getting himself another yellow and getting banned. You know, Bruno Fernandes obviously didn't fancy another chase in an afternoon at Anfield. So, um, so yeah, it's it, it's the kind of game that, you know, it, it, you want Liverpool to just ram home the difference between these two arch rivals. And you've got to, you know, you've got to make, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, look, even just a year ago, don't say, both clubs were put up for sale. Liverpool have had hardly a sniff. United are going to... Are they going to be singing, we've sold 25%? Is that the only thing they've got over us in the last year? Well, this is the thing. I mean, obviously, Liverpool were sort of available before Man United, and then Man United get on the market, and suddenly it becomes a lot harder for Liverpool. And because, you know, and this is part of the problem with United on the pitch. I think it was Ed Woodward said a few years ago now that, you know, that United's economic performances doesn't really rely on results on the pitch. So that's grotesque, you know, really, you think about it, you know, it's like speaking about it like it's a supermarket chain or something, you know, that doesn't really need to to add any quality, doesn't need to, to perform well in real terms to actually produce the money that it's capable of producing. And that's why, you know, people are interested in taking control of Manchester United because of that. I think, I mean, I, mean, I, I do think that they will find that, you know, they're going to have to invest a lot to get the results right on the pitch. You know, I, I was the same as both of you. Like, sort of, 90s was horrible. Like, just absolutely horrible. That's my entry point. You, you wrote a very good book about yeah. it called Men in White Suits, which is, uh, how can a, a book about Liverpool be so good and have a title like that? Just that evokes such a horrible image. But you, you managed to, we're a balancing act. You read to people. You should be reading Simon Hughes. I did enjoy writing that book, strangely, because, you know, so many Liverpool books are focused on the, the sort of the, the eras where the team has done well, but the 90s was, was tough, you know, and as I say, I, from, a, from a, a young person and a fan's perspective, watching United win trophy after trophy after trophy, it, Liverpool, it felt like Liverpool, it was a long way back for Liverpool, but I, I would argue now, you know, and I've said this before, but United are now 10 years, more than 10 years since the last Premier League trophy. I think about like between 1990 and the year 2000. I can remember those years vividly, you know. I actually think United are further away than Liverpool were then, you know, on the pitch. I think much further. People might say, people might say, well, you know, look at the points difference between Liverpool and Man United. It's not actually as big, you know, as it might seem. But these are two totally different clubs and teams at the moment. I, I, I would say Liverpool are much pre- better prepared. They've got a world class manager, they've got world class players who buy into the collective. You know, they've got a stadium that is that is catching up on Old Trafford rapidly. You know, that Liverpool's commercial performance isn't that far away from Man United's now. People forget that. 
And, you know, on every possible level, you know, an executive level, I would say Liverpool are in a, in a better position. But a lot of this does, I must stress, sort of revolve around the presence of the manager. You know, Jurgen Klopp is, is, is crucial to all this for Liverpool. I was just thinking United, uh, you know, on the pitch, I watched them, they, they don't look like a, a cohesive football team, you know, on, on many occasions. They might get results on, you know, from from time to time against against good opposition because they do have good players, but they, they don't, very basically don't play as a team often enough. When that Man United were, were, were ahead of Liverpool, the games were still, by and large, always pretty close. They were, like, you know, sort of United always came to Anfield and would often put five men in midfield and try and, you know, really dog it out and try and sneak a win. There's none of that now. Like, the gap between Liverpool and United on the pitch when they played each other largely has been very visible. James, you alluded to this before, but it seems to me that this United squad has got used to getting managers sacked. When that happens in a team, it's absolute poison. You've got to clear them out. And, you, you I mean, you, you compare that with Liverpool's leadership. The leaders who've stepped up in this season after losing two senior players, three senior players. Yeah, yeah it's... That that is a big a big big contrast I think between the two the two dressing rooms and and you're right I I wrote a, a big piece on the Liverpool's leadership group a few weeks back and it is a real strength for Klopp which is all the more impressive considering you know having lost the experience of Henderson and Milner last summer yeah it's it's Liverpool's dressing room just pleases itself that's the thing when you speak to staff there it's like very little actually reaches Klopp's door or Pep Linders' door for that matter. Pep is obviously the kind of the um, the go-between because, you know, when you've got personalities like Van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold has stepped up and in, take, embraced more responsibility this season. You know, Alisson, Salah, Andy Robertson, even the, the, the players that came in, Zabozlai, you know, he, you know, he voted by his peers, captain of Hungary at the age of 22. Wataro Endo wears the armband for Japan. You know, there's... You know, there's so many role models in there who, and, you know, and they talk about at Liverpool. They talk about how, you know, they want they don't want Klopp or Linders to have to set the standards every day. They, they want it to come from within, and that's that's what happens. You know, they you see that, and I think you're right that the dynamic is so different at United. Sometimes I watch United, and I can't believe some of these players. It's like someone like Anthony Martial that seems to have been there for so long, and you think, how how is he still there? And then you look at their recruitment and. You know, some of the he has been there for so long. He's been, he's been there for eight years, hasn't he? It's I incredible. Know, it's, like, yeah, and I, you just think, and I know these like you, you, I know there's long contracts and all the rest of it, but you just think, come on. Like the other big thing that always strikes me is there's so many leaks from that dressing room. I mean, United obviously recently banned reporters because they weren't happy with stories that have been written suggesting that Ten Hag had already and that lost. always works. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. You know, the story was that you know Ten Hag had already lost. After the dressing room and all the rest of it. And, you know, you know, I think back to what was it, 2020, 21, when the wheels properly came off at Liverpool. And, you know, and you have discussions with people and, you know, obviously everyone's desperate to get to the bottom of what, you know, what's gone wrong. And there was no briefing against Klopp. They even stayed tightly knit. Even they weren't, but at United, it just seems that there's all this finger pointing and it's, well, it's his fault. It's his fault. And and just a lack of accountability. It doesn't all come down to the managers, but the contrast between them, I think, is is so obvious to me anyway. You know, I think, you know, when you think about when Liverpool, when, when Man United tried to overtake Liverpool in the 80s, what did they do? Well, they went and hired a manager in Ferguson who'd already done elsewhere what they wanted to achieve. So they got a manager from Aberdeen 
who who basically you know managed to 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 wrestle away the Glasgow stranglehold. And it took several years, obviously, for Ferguson to get it right at United. But that's what he did. And then what did Liverpool do when they were trying to catch up with United and all the other teams? They always tried to appoint a manager who'd done what they were trying to achieve. So they got, you know, whether it was Rafa, you know, obviously Rafa had won two league titles in Valencia, Valencia, you know, overtaking Real Madrid and Barcelona in those seasons. And then they got Klopp, obviously, several years later, who'd done that with Dortmund. The, 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 point, the point is, though, I mean, it, it's probably becoming harder to source those sorts of managers because it's becoming harder to to achieve those sorts of things in football because of, you know, PSG's dominance, for example, in um, in France. You know, there aren't many coaches who've, who've overcome sort of uh, the bigger clubs to, to, to move, you know, to move that, that the club that they're going to forward. For me, I, I just think you look at the differences between them. James is... James is um, Right on what he's saying. I mean, when when Liverpool have had two bad seasons in the last three, let's let's not forget. You know, sometimes the Athletic we get accused of like sort of trying to conspire against. You know, whether it's Klopp or the manager, you obviously speak to people at the club and you try and find out what's going on. There's never been any sign of dissent against the manager throughout these periods, and I think that shows you just how much control and respect that he's got from the players. You know, I think the players do. You know, genuinely sort of respect them and would. Uh, it it would be a surprise for me now to hear somebody sort of you know sort of side against them. I'll tell you what shouldn't be happening. I mean, Maguire getting Premier League Player of the Month for November, and then Ten Hag getting Manager of the Month. Is everyone in crazy pills, James? <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's the, the, that's the thing with this United team, isn't it? The, and that is why you can't just completely and utterly dismiss them because. Despite there being such a muddled recruitment process, despite it being clearly not a particularly happy, settled environment, and everything else going, they because just because of the sheer amount of money that they have they have thrown at it, they still do have players who are capable of winning games. But you always feel with United at the minute they're only a fortnight away from another crisis because when they do put together a few results, it's not massively convincing. The last week sums it up really, doesn't it? You know that that. This cycle of United, yeah, they have a you know a really lame performance at Newcastle, where you know players are being singled out for their individual contribution to the game, and quite rightly, they then an uplifting performance against Chelsea, who let's have a right aren't very good, but you know a good result at home, and then that against Bournemouth. I mean, oh my God, Is that, like again, it reminded me of Liverpool in the sort of the early nineties, loser at home to Oldham. Or Coventry City, that that sort of thing, you know. I like just you're just thinking, how on earth is this happening? I think Fernandez is the classic example, isn't he? Because he has got talent. Yeah, you can't deny that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he phones in his performance against Newcastle, and then like it was like, you know what? I don't fancy going to Anfield. Have a, have a little nibble, get himself booked, but don't chase back. You know, just you know, just ambled. I was just I couldn't believe how bad it was. Yeah, but he, he epitomised how they threw in the towel at Anfield back in March. You know, so obviously there was a lot of talk about him in the aftermath of that game, and and it was inevitable because you know when your captain effectively just just gives up like he did that day. I mean, what what kind of example does does that set? They seem to be in that kind of ever kind of like never ending circle of blame of you know, a few bad results and then, you know, the focus is back on the Glazers and there's all this, you know, it's it's ridiculous how long 
the ownership thing has dragged on and, you know, obviously Jim Ratcliffe coming in, Ineos, and, you know, that that's still not been announced and he's going to be taking on, you know, the, the football side of things immediately. But, you know, now there's talk, you know, it's not going to happen in time for the January window, but it's it, like the, the amount of money that has been thrown at it. That's, that's the thing that sometimes gets me because it's, it's, yeah, of course you can, the Glazers quite rightly get criticised. I mean, you only have to, you only have to go to Old Trafford now to see what a sorry state it is with the, the, the complete neglect and lack of environment with, you know, the, the, the lack of investment in that, in that ground over the last 15 years or whatever. But also, you know, a lot of money has been squandered by managers and not just Ten Hag. But when you look at, I was looking before at some of the money he spent, you know, 57 million on Lissandro Martinez, or 52 million on Casemiro. And then you got Anthony, 85 million. Mason Mount, 55 million. And of course, Liverpool wanted him in the summer, but there was, you know, Liverpool valued him at 40 million and they wouldn't, there's no, you know, a lot was made of the fact that Mason Mount chose United over Liverpool, which is true to a certain degree. But also Liverpool wouldn't have done the deal at the kind of wages that United were prepared to offer him and at the fee they were willing to to pay Chelsea for someone who was down to the last year of his contract. You know, Anana, forty-four million pounds, supposed to be this big upgrade on Dick David De Gea, but you know, it's it's just dropped so many clangers. It, it it just feels to me like so muddled in terms of how they how they go about recruitment. Whilst Liverpool, you can you know, at times there's been criticism, obviously, because of not spending enough. But at least with Liverpool, you can always see that there is a plan. James mentioned some of the players there. I mean, obviously, Anthony, uh, Martinez, Onana, all played for Ten Hag at Ajax. You know, he, he Ten Hag was empowered and given the opportunity to sign the players that he felt was good enough to play for Man United, albeit a manager that's not managing England. And I don't think you can say... Yet that any of those players really have proven themselves as being Man United's ability players. There are players there who isolated are good players, but it's just not a team. I mean, it sounds like I'm getting dead annoyed by this, really. But sort of, it's become like sort of a bit of a Man United sort of how do we solve Man United podcast? <laughs> it? It's, it is interesting because I do think that history is sort of repeating itself, really. You know, like, whether... There are great parallels between United now and Liverpool sort of 25 years ago. I just think, you know, they've taken that eye off the ball. It's sort of very... There's a complacency there which stems from the owners. I do think the fish tends to rot from the head. But I do think there are owners sometimes, you know, a good managerial appointment can sometimes sort of mask over some of those problems. It's happened at other clubs. I do think FSG are more attentive to Liverpool than, than the Glazers have been at United. They've invested more. They've tried to obviously build the infrastructure. They've done more for Anfield and, than, than the Glazers ever have for, for Old Trafford. They've just sort of sat on it and, and, and hoped that things worked out and lent on the experience of people who were already there into uh, Alex Ferguson before. But... They're a mess. They're a total and utter mess, I I, I think. I mean, it, as I say, it's great from a Liverpool perspective. I would not be... I mean, United on the day could, as I said, they could pull out a result if, if the breaks go their way. But I would not be surprised if Liverpool, you know, do smash them again on Sunday because Liverpool seem to have that rhythm at the moment, that confidence that, you know, like, so to, even though we haven't seen a great performance from Liverpool this season, let's not forget when they beat United 7-0 last season, they only had to play for the half. They would beat them 7 0. (laughs) 
You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Well, yeah, let's talk about that, because, you know, done beaten in the last eight games against United Anfields, and United have scored only once. That was a 3-1 game in December 2018, and Jose Mourinho got sacked afterwards. That was a shame, wasn't it? But, you know, 11 goals in the last two seasons? I mean... If I was a United player, knowing the nature of this rivalry, I mean, for me, it was, it was the most important rivalry. You know, Everton is a local thing, but United was, when we played them, it's the festival of hate, you know, it's, which wasn't with Everton. And you, you, you know, you, in that environment, to concede 11 goals in two games, I'd be too ashamed to show me face in Manchester. Well, I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true though. This is the thing you think about, like sort of. Um, I suppose you know you always look to the local players, don't you? You know, like in terms of how they react to bad bad moments. So I'm not saying the players should should hide away from the problems. Everybody has different ways of dealing with things. But just don't remember, like Jamie Carragher after a bad result, particularly you know after you know he introduced himself to the Liverpool Man United game. Really, in 99, by scoring two own goals. Like, I can only imagine how he must have felt after that. He certainly wasn't going out afterwards, you know, for a, for a while. Because maybe Marcus Rashford will say, well, I handle my problems a bit differently. But when, when you're in such... It's not just isolated bad performances. It's bad form and sort of, you know, attitude on the pitch over a semi, you know, quite a long period of time. The last thing you want to be doing is going out, really. I, I, I think I, I, that's just maybe how I would react if I was... I, that's how I reacted when I played Sunday League football. I wouldn't really want to go out afterwards. You know, you sort of just want to go home and go to bed. And James, they're going to be coming into a bear pit, aren't they? You know, 57,000 people. It was, it's the biggest crowd. Now with the Anfield Road open, the upper Anfield Road, the biggest crowd in 50 years, uh, which um, a guy our producer was telling me uh, the last time was a nil-nil draw against Leicester, which I can vaguely remember. Anfield's going to be rocking, isn't it? Yeah, it feels it feels like perfect timing, really, to finally see that that upper tier of the Anfield Road end, you know, not being fully open but partially open. So yeah, I was at the test event at Anfield on on Monday night, and they had like a like a kids game on the pitch, and then Jurgen Klopp was there doing a doing a Q and A, and you had over seven thousand fans in there, you know, for Liverpool City Council to do all the relevant checks to then submit the self a safety certificate. It's going to add a real interesting dynamic. Obviously, Liverpool have been operating with just over 50,000 capacity so far this season, 57,000 from the weekend onwards, and then it should be up to 61,000 by the back end of January. So the big chunk of the seats that won't be in use on Sunday are actually the, the hospitality seats. I think 2,500 hospitality seats aren't, they're not yet ready because the, the, the hospitality lounges aren't complete. So, you know, 7,000 general admission tickets you know i know i know a lot of people that were badly affected earlier on in the season when liverpool had to cancel tickets for for games because of the delays to the anfield road and obviously buckingham group going into administration and rainer rowan taking over and and all the subsequent delays so um yeah i think there'll be a hell of a lot of people that haven't been able to get to anfield so far this season that will be there on sunday what a game to be there Four as well, you know, Klopp spoke on Monday night about, you know, he, he just can't wait to savour it. And you just want to see this run continue against United because it's, oh, but when I look back, Liverpool haven't had a run as good as this at home to United since the 1970s. This is like, you know, a proper, 
a proper kind of dismal spell for United in terms of trips to Merseyside. Now, as you said, only only Jesse Lingard has scored for United in the last eight meetings at, at Anfield, which is which is ridiculous. And when you think as well, that 7-0 in March came at a time when Liverpool weren't exactly firing on all cylinders themselves. They went and lost to Bournemouth a week later. You want to you want to prey on those frailties of United, and hopefully, you know this will be the weekend when we're talking about not just a Liverpool win, but a performance as well, because um, you you want to see them going up through the gears a bit. Liverpool are sort of due, I, I would say, a, a controlled but pulsating performance this season. There hasn't been too many of them really, and United just seem a perfect opponent for them, given that they're missing a few players, given the form. Given that Liverpool are sort of, I've got that sort of feeling about them at the moment, whereby they're not playing that well, but they they can just always somehow win anyway. And within that, you know, they've got you know the bulk of them, sort of the most well, all the most important players are fit. So yeah, I mean, I'd be very surprised if if United um, were able to get anything out the game really on on Sunday. Yeah, I'd be shocked, in fact. Well, again, you know, we saw against Fulham, and this is where the you know we're talking about the crowd, the extra seven thousands. You know, in in my football watching lifetime, I've never seen teams that feed off the crowds and vice versa, like these club sides. And, you know, against United, if that sort of closed circuit between the crowds and the team actually kicks in, then, you know, there is a possibility something special has happened. I mean, you know, considering last year's 7-0 wasn't that special. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, you... In, in terms of dynamic building up to it as well, it's contrasting, isn't it, with obviously United having a, a midweek game in the Champions League where they have to go flat out, Liverpool having a dead rubber in the Europa League where, you know, I hope Klopp completely, you know, I don't, I don't want to see anyone even remotely risked in that game. You just want to see, you know, a, a night for all the kids to gain some experience and, you know, how... We haven't mentioned Alison Beck yet. We know how, how integral was he to to what happened at Palace last weekend, and the importance of having him back for the, you know it's because it's not just United, is it? It's United, then it's West Ham in midweek and quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup, then Arsenal coming to Anfield. It's a huge week with three three back to back home games. You know, stakes are high in all of them. I think I'm sure we'll see Canate back alongside Van Dijk. I think it was probably a bit of a calculated gamble by Klopp playing young Kwanzaa. At, Sellers Park, I think, looking at the schedule and and trying to juggle things because we know Canate has had a you know a lot of muscle injury issues. The front line of Diaz, Nunes, Salah probably picks itself. Um, although you want to see a bit more from Nunes, I think you know is it's probably because Liverpool are winning, it doesn't it doesn't really matter so much. But I think you have to go back to the start of November for his last goal, and you want to see a bit more end product from him, and want to see him caught offside a, a bit less often as well. And then it will just be intriguing to see what he goes for in the centre of the park in terms of balance, because you know hopefully McAllister will be ready in time if he can recover from that blow and the wound he, he took on the knees. A Bosley obviously starts, and then it's a tricky one really. Who gets that third place in midfield? Whether it's Gravenberg, whether it's Endo Jones, or or Harvey Elliott, who obviously couldn't have done any more to to stake a claim with his impact off the bench last week. Yeah, I mean, what, would you prefer to see say in midfield? The difficulty is I, I, I'm still not convinced by the balance that, that, that I think the manager prefers with the players that he's got available to him. I mean, I think in his head is, is, is the front, the, the, the three that he, he he wants to field are the ones that he signed in the summer. I'm not quite sure it's working. 
I was really encouraged by Curtis Jones and the way he started the season. I think he knows that position on the left of the front three slightly better than Gravenberg at the moment. I think Gravenberg will prove himself as, as a very good player in that position and he's made big contributions. That being said, I, I think for Sunday it'll be the three that he he wants, the three that, the, the three that uh, he signed in the summer. I suspect that that's what his thought process will be because he, he tends to go with the, the big signings, doesn't he, when it comes to the big games, really. And despite everything we've said, you know, Man United is a bit is is still remains the biggest game of the season for Liverpool. You know, despite the fact that they're not really sort of competing for the same trophies, I would say at the moment that it's it remains the biggest game. And Klopp knows, you know, how how big it can be for Liverpool. It should have been a catalyst for Liverpool to kick start, you know, to, to really end the season strongly last year, and it wasn't. He'll want to make sure that this is the start point of a really dominant period over Christmas. It was interesting listening to Klopp on Monday night at this test event, kind of saying, you know, he said, I'm telling you that the worse things get for them, the more dangerous they are. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm you know, I'm sure that will be the message it'd be given his players because, you know, you just don't want any hint of complacency creeping in or any feeling of, you know, we'll have far too much for these today. Because when you start thinking like that, that tends to be when you, you fall flat on your face. You know, you you need to remember the pain of losing to them previously, the pain of being in their shadow. Um, and that goes for the fans going there on Sunday as well, because, um, you know, you don't ever, don't ever kind of take for granted being this much better than Manchester United. Because, you know, when you look at, when you look at the Premier League era, it's been very rare, hasn't it? In terms of the two of them actually being at a top level and going head to head, it tends to have been one, you know, hitting the heights while the other ones plumb in the depths. And, and that is where they're at at the moment. And you've got to ram home that advantage. You can't overestimate the impact of United's run at Anfield over the last, you know, six or seven years, really. Because it's almost getting to the point of, you know, Everton. The results prove that. You know, they're, they're getting battered all the time. You know, you hear Gary Neville talk on all the time about, oh, Anfield, this, this, this place, you know, where... Actually, when he went, when he came to Anfield, they, they didn't get bad results. You know, they, they, they won sometimes. But now, you know, they're coming again on Sunday with the same group of players, largely, that have been involved in all these games. So I just don't see where they get the mental resolve to deal with what's coming their way. Because, as you said, Tony, I'm, you know, the fat Liverpool fans don't care that United are doing badly. They're not going to take pity of them on them. In fact, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse for them, you know. So the worse it gets for them, it just gets worse and worse. So, as I said, you know, United can score a goal. We can change the dynamic of the game. But as soon as the Liverpool fans latch onto something in that game, they will be on top of their players. And these players are the ones who've been there throughout the last eight years, largely. You know, so I just don't see how they sort of have a total reset of the mind that gets them in a position where they can get a result. And think, at that point, we come back in a full circle, to say he does need a flag on the cop with him pointing right down, don't take pity. And that is a great point to leave this week. Don't take pity on United. And so that's all for this week on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Si, and you for joining us. Don't forget, James will be at the match on Sunday, so check that out. And we'll be back with our final pub before Christmas next Tuesday. We'll catch you then.
The Athletic.